0: We are going through the book of Revelation, so be prepared. <laughs> Over a hundred of us here at Northwest are going to fly to Jerusalem, and we're going to take part in the Foursquare Convention. Our president right now is Pastor Jack Hayford, and and really with his heart, we are we have scheduled for the first time our our, our national convention is now being held out of the country. We're holding it. In Jerusalem this year. And there's a reason for it. Numerous denominations, some nations of the world, have begun to treat Israel with a pariah status. They are beginning to stop investing financially, um, they are beginning to uh, stop communication, they're beginning to punish Israel as a nation. Our heart is to stand in support with Israel. It's certainly not to say we don't love the Palestinian people and things like that, but to say that they have a right to exist and we believe that God has put them there and we actually believe it's part of the prophetic fulfillment of the end times. And we're going to look at that today. That's why I'm bringing this up. Pastor Jack Hayford wants us to go to make a statement. He wants us to say we believe in what God is doing here and we love you they hear that message loud and clear. Uh, We've taken the largest gathering place they have in the nation, right in the heart of Jerusalem. Uh, And they sent a uh, government official this last spring to our convention to welcome us, to thank us for coming, Um, and then picked up the tab and paid for breakfast for the entire convention. That's like 5,000 people for the entire week to just say, we love you. Thank you so much for coming to Israel. They're getting the message that it's evangelical Pentecostal believers who love them and stand with them. And that's an important message for these last days, and today we're going to see why. God has not finished with the people of Israel. He made a promise to just a few people, some couples, that he would bless their children and he would watch over their generations to the end of the age. And he never forgets his promises. Not to Abraham and Sarah. Not to you. That's what we're going to learn. Father God, we ask for the word to come alive. We ask for ears to hear and eyes to see. This is your word. You breathed it. We are not here on this planet without light. You have given us the revelation of your word. And we ask that you would be light to us today. I ask for grace so that we could hear you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. John's prophecies concerning the last days began in heaven's throne room. There we saw the Ancient of Days give a scroll to Jesus who opened it, one seal at a time. As he did, the Antichrist's kingdom was allowed to arise. Next, we watched as six angels sounded their trumpets to warn the world that God's judgment was fast approaching. But before the seventh angel will sound his trumpet, John receives another vision in which he sees a second scroll called the little book. This he's told to take and eat in a manner similar to the prophet Ezekiel centuries before him. At first, the scroll tasted sweet. But after a time, it grew bitter in his stomach, and he knew he was being called upon to prophesy again. Immediately, God began to reveal how he would reach the nation of Israel in that final generation. As we read the star- of the startling events, we'll be reminded how committed he is to bringing that nation to know him. It's my opinion that the little book John sees contains the unfulfilled prophecies about Israel, just as the scroll of the fa- in the Father's hand contains the unfulfilled prophecies about Christ. In particular, I believe, the little book contains chapters 33 through 48 of the book of Ezekiel. So we'll rapidly cover a lot of Scripture today. No kidding. I am going to cover not only two chapters of Revelation, but I'm going to cover, what is that, 15 chapters of the book of Ezekiel? All in one sermon. Don't leave, don't run. Lock the doors, please, ushers. ah <clears throat> uh-huh. So we'll rapidly cover a lot of Scripture today, but after we're done, we'll reflect on the miracle we see at work. We'll discover how long God remembers a promise. In human terms, promises are quickly forgotten, but we'll soon see that with God, that's not true. His commitment to Abraham's children has not been forgotten over thousands of years. When people hear his promises and believe them, a power is released which does not diminish with the passing of time. Then finally we'll reflect on how this principle applies to our own prayers. Revelation chapter 10. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was around his head and his feet, and his face was like the sun. And his feet like pillars of fire. He's shining with what I would call the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah is the, that glory that was in the tabernacle, that visible light. There's somehow a light that holiness gives off. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. And he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. So he is a huge angel standing there. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Leave them for Steve Shell in another generation to (laughs) to reveal. No, I will not tell you what they say, but I will tell you something about it. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven so just as you do in a courtroom he lifts up his right hand and swears by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it that there will be delay no longer but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he's about to sound then the mystery of god is finished as he preached to his prof- servants, the prophets. And I'll define that for you later. "'The voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, "'Go, take the book, which is, in the, which is open in the hand "'of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. "'And so I went to the angel, "'telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, "'Take it and eat it, "'and I, it will make your stomach bitter, "'but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey.' And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and then when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, and they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Verse 1, he sees this great, huge angel, I think it is an angel. It looks a lot like Christ, and you could say, isn't that Jesus Christ? But we saw in chapter 5, verse 2, a same reference to a strong angel. It must be an archangel. And the one who does the communicating generally for the Lord is Gabriel. And so it may well be Gabriel who's, who's there. He has in his hand, apparently it's his left hand because his right hand is raised up in, in, an, in an oath. He has a book. And John actually has coined a word, apparently, that no one else knows where it's from. But it means a little book. Uh, a small scroll was open in his hand, and it, I have said to you already, I believe it is the unfulfilled prophecies about Israel. In particular, I believe it is those prophecies at the end of Ezekiel, and I'll show you why in a bit. As soon as he eats this scroll, his prophecy turns to the nation of Israel. That's what we will see in chapter 11. Then there are seven peals of thunder, and we're not told what's said, and John's instructed not to give that to us. Again, I don't know what they said, but in chapter 12 of the book of John, same John that wrote the book of Revelation, 12 verses 28 through 31, there's an interesting uh, account. Some, peop- some Greek people have come to see Jesus, and they, they speak to Philip, and they said, we would, sir, we would see Jesus. And he goes to Andrew and says they want to see the Lord, and Andrew tells this to the Lord. And the Lord makes a statement, and then it, then the Father speaks from heaven. And after he does, the, the people are split. It says, some said it thundered. In other words, when the Lord spoke, some they did not have the ears to hear, the faith to hear, and for them it was just noise. It was a loud noise like thunder. Others heard and said, "No, the Lord has spoken to him." And so there's what it what it is is the Lord is speaking something that those who do not have the ears to hear won't hear anyway, and the generation that's about to follow isn't going to hear what was spoken, but the people of faith will hear. And I think it's going to be it's contained in the things we hear coming afterwards now. The seventh angel, we're told there in, in verse 7, he has, he's not yet sounded his trumpet. We started with the scroll, having the seals broken. Remember that? As each seal was broken, the Antichrist's kingdom was released. Then we went into a season of these trumpets, which are announcing warning. The end is coming. God brings four natural disasters But it's only partial and says, beware, repent, Uh, the end is drawing near. And then we saw two spiritual disasters, the releasing of a demonic horde over the earth that is uh, beyond anything we can imagine. So we've come up through six trumpets. The seventh has not yet sounded, but John now says, is told, eat this book, you've got another thing to prophesy. And it says here, when The seventh angel, when he sounds, the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Well, what is that mystery? Well, I will show you that. Romans chapter 16. Paul, in his closing here of the letter to, to Rome, the Romans, gives, a, gives a, 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 act, a worship. He begins to praise the Lord spontaneously. And he says this, verse 25, Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and remember Paul's gospel is we are saved by faith in Christ alone, not by works, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages. Paul says the mystery of the gospel of Christ has been, a, has been kept secret, but is now being revealed through the, through the New Testament church. But it's, there's another part to this mystery, and I'll show you what that is. But now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, It has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith." It was a mystery. It was there in the prophets. But if you didn't really have eyes to see it, you didn't get it. That God would, there would come a time when he would send his salvation out to the Gentiles. It was not just for Israel. It was for all the world. We see it. Now we look back into the Old Testament and we can see it. But it was a mystery. Israel did not understand. They didn't have the heart. But this mystery of the gospel spreading out. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. Uh, we have the gentiles have poured into the kingdom of God over this season by the billions. Billions of gentiles have been saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, the Bible says this quite clearly that there is a season for the gentiles and that season will come to an end. The times of the gentiles will be fulfilled. There comes an end to this gathering in of the Gentiles. But God still has an appointment with Israel. So the mystery of this great gathering in, the hardening of Israel, but then the gathering in of the Gentiles, but then there'll come a moment when God turns his heart again in a a, a remarkable way to Israel. Let's go back to to Revelation 11. Or 12, uh, pardon me, 10. Uh, Verse 7. the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven saying, speak, speaking with me, saying, take the book and eat the book. All right, so he takes this thing and he eats it. And at first it tastes sweet because the, the, uh, the, the promises of God are sweet and they're beautiful. But once he reflects on what they mean, the suffering that will be there and the judgment that's ahead and the, the, the things that God must do to bring them to pass, he begins, he grieves. Every prophet who's worth their salt has a heart of love, not a heart of vengeance, not a heart of anger. When, when you have an angry prophet, there's, it's immaturity in flesh. Ultimately, you see John seeing these promises and then his heart goes sad inside. And he grieves over what he must. But he feels that rising pressure. He must prophesy these words that are are to be given. He's announcing this change of season. Now, I want to take you back, and we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 33. I'm going to cover all those chapters in rapid succession. The season For the gathering in through the gospel of multitudes of Gentiles is coming to an end. The last trumpet is about to sound. But God has a commitment also to bringing Israel to know Him. There have been thousands of years since He promised Abraham and Sarah that He would bless their generations. And there has been... For a couple of thousand years, a hard rejection of Jesus Christ as Messiah. It's been a sad thing. It's been a tragic thing. Paul struggled and had to reflect, what, where did we go wrong? What happened here in, in Romans chapter 9 through 11? But God will not be beaten, and his heart is there to reach out, and we're going to see how he does it. I never understood where these chapters in Ezekiel fit in. I've read this section many times and I wondered, what is this? We talk about Gog and Magog, and you've got this valley of dry bones, and you have you have all of this building of a of a temple which was never built. And some people say, well, the, the Gog and Magog battle is in chapter 19 of Revelation. It's the end of the of the millennium. And I'm thinking, okay, well, why did we take all these chapters to talk about the end of the millennium back in 500 B.C.? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, he can do what he wants to do, but what was the point of that? And I've read them, and I've never known where they fit. I'm about to take you to a chapter that seems odd. All of a sudden, the next chapter in Revelation, we're going to go right into this remarkable account of God's miracle working in Israel, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Bearing witness to the Jews. You think, where did this fit in? What I'm going to show you is it fits right in with the end of where we are in Ezekiel. Ezekiel has described for us how God prepares Israel in the last days. Let's have a look at it. Chapter 33 is the chapter where where it starts. There Ezekiel said, he's a watchman on the wall. Remember that? And he's to blow the shofar. And he's to warn the people of what's ahead. Chapter 34, God says, the shepherds of my people have failed. They have, been, they have used my people for, for financial income. They have been harsh with my people. They put a burden on my people. I'm through with the spiritual leaders. I am going to put over them my son. I'm going to put over them David. And when he says David, he's talking about the son of David, the promised Messiah. And who is that? It's Jesus Christ. They... He says, I am going to give them Jesus Christ as their leader. Israel will know. Chapter 35 seems odd. It's actually not. I'll just say this gently. It talks about the Edomites who love bloodshed and have, have, have a long-standing hatred for Israel. It's, uh, it's Jacob and Esau. And he says, I, have, I am through with allowing them to bring bloodshed on my people. And I'm going to turn them upon themselves and I'm going to destroy their power. They live southwest of, of the southwest corner of Israel, the, the Gaza Strip. Basically, he's going to break this terrible Palestinian struggle. He loves the Palestinian people, but they are not going to be able, and there's going to be a breaking of their power, I think it says, over Israel. Chapter 36, Israel regathered. He says, I will gather the nation from all over the world. He's already started, has he not? Uh, 1948, Israel became a nation. For 2,000 years, it had not been a nation. It was an amazing feature. They were scattered to the winds, and then they were given a homeland and have regrown. Their very existence right now is, is quite a miracle in itself. But this chapter goes on, and it talks about how God will cleanse them. He will wash them of their sins. And then it says, and I will put my spirit within them, and they will all know me. And it's passages that I use when I'm teaching you on the new birth. He, will, he says, they will become born again, and the Spirit of God will come into my people, and they will know me. They will become obedient from the heart, and they will, there will be a great growth in numbers of my people. I actually think this is the forming of the 144,000, which is a, is a symbolic way of saying all true believers, all true Jews who love me, I will bring to know their Savior Chapter 37 is that marvelous vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Do you know that vision? I hope you don't because I love telling it. Uh, (laughs) Ezekiel is shown this valley of just dead bones scattered out. And then the, and the Lord says, Son of man, prophesy to the bones. Say to the bones, b- bones come together. And so he prophesies, and the bones begin to come together. And this is where you get the hip bone connected to the thigh bone and the whole, the whole thing, you whole know? that's that song. Yeah, all the bones begin to come together, this great rattling, you know, of, of skeletons coming out of this thing. And then Ezekiel sees the, the sinews, the muscles come on them. And then he sees the flesh and the skin come over them, but they're still dead. And then the Lord says, Son of man, prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, to the, And the wind and spirit are the same word in Hebrew and in Greek. Prophesy to the wind and say to the wind, O, o winds, come and breathe upon these slain that they may live. And so the Spirit of God comes in and, they, and, and, and fills them and they become spiritually alive. They have been physically there, gathered and made strong, but they have not been filled with the Spirit. Now they are filled with the Spirit, and it says they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. There's a prophecy that God will gather, He will strengthen and restore, and then He will fill with His Spirit His people, and there'll be an exceedingly great army. Then something odd happens. God says to these group of nations, which are called under the label basically Gog and Magog, but there's nations that come along with them. Um, what is it? Beth Togarma and Tubal, and I don't, I don't remember Oput and, and Ethiopia, but it refers there to Sudan. And it's, it, it says that all these nations, God says, I will put a hook in your jaw, and I will bring you down, and I will cause you to fight against my, my people. The nations today would be Russia. Iran, Syria. I'm sure is involved because of the boundaries of the new land. Syria, Sudan, Libya, Turkey. Who have I missed? Ethiopia, which is considered in this case. I think it's this Ethiopia is the Sudan. Uh, I would. I'd be surprised if it's the other, but it could be. It does say Ethiopia. You're exactly right. So these nations, he says, will come down. And what's this about? Well, right now, Jesus says that Jerusalem will be trodden under the foot of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Remember this? In other words, this season comes to an end. Now, you say, well, is it trodden under the foot of the Gentiles now? Right now, if you go to the Temple Mount, what's there? There is an enormous golden mosque. And it is placed right over, I mean smack dab over where the temple was. It's not an accident. They put it there on purpose. They put it there so Israel couldn't build their temple. They stuck a mosque right over it. And then there's a little cupola in front of it. That's exactly where the altar, the bronze altar, used to be. So right now you have a foot right on that spot saying, no way. There's a defiance. And as long as you have right over the temple a gentile temple it is still trodden underfoot of the gentiles well how are you going to break that how could they ever build their temple right now it would be politically horrible if any, if they tried to do anything like that they're they're building a ramp right now and they've had to use concussion bombs and, and everything else over there because there's these riots saying they're damaging they're damaging the the, uh, the mosque and of course they're they're not but there's all of this just over building a ramp somewhere nearby so the idea they could ever build a temple but it says, I'm going to bring these nations down against Israel. And they all come, and they come in a huge horde, just an enormous number of people. And they come to the mountains of Israel. And then God does a miracle. I mean, he has an earthquake that's a humdinger. He has, he has hailstones that are enormous. And he fights for God. Remember when Samuel was ga- had gathered a million people at Mizpah, and they're all worshiping, and suddenly, what is it, the Midianites come around them, and they begin to assault them? And Samuel says, Don't fear, call on the Lord. And Israel just went up and called on the Lord. And God sent a huge storm and just, and just, just destroyed the Midianites for them. He didn't even have to fight. God, God fought for them. And he's going to do it again. And he's going, to, he's going to just destroy this. It says that they will be burning the fuel that they get from this, this army for seven years. Okay, how many years? That gives you something right there. For seven years, they'll burn the fuel. For seven months, they'll be burying corpses, and everybody takes little markers. And when you see something sticking out of the ground or whatever, you you stick a flag. And they're burying corpses for seven months. What does this do? It does two things. One, it causes that says the nations will fear, and they will know that the God of Israel is alive and well. There will become a fear. You've broken this massive army, and there's this fear. Israel is now free to build her temple. It also says that Israel will fear and believe. You see, right now, Israel is a very secular nation. There are some real Jews, but, I mean, there's real Jews by genetics, but there's real Jews by faith. There's a very small group with faith. It's a very deeply secular place. Boy, when you see that kind of thing, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ha ah, you're there, aren't you? I mean, it's going to wake everybody. It's, it's part of the whole renewal process. They will wake up and be aware. Then it says that God will pour out his spirit, chapter 39. The temple will be rebuilt. That's the temple in chapter 40 through 42 that is described. Ezekiel describes the, rebuilding temp, the rebuilt temple. And then chapter 43, hang on to your hats, the spirit of God enters the temple again. The Shekinah comes in, that's exactly what it says. Chapter 43, 13 through 27, verses, the temple worship is reinstated. Chapter 44, the priesthood is restored. Chapter 45, there is special land set aside for the priests and government officials. Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? There's a special parcel of land that isn't part of anything else that's set aside for, for the government. There's actually, in Ezekiel, this parcel of sacred land set aside for the priests and for the government officials so they do not tax the people. They live in a special provided area so that there's no tax on the people. And it's just like Washington, D.C. It's described right there in the book of Ezekiel. Then it says that there will be weekly, monthly, and daily observances restored. You say, can you do that now that we have Jesus? Yes, they do it. At least it's not my fault. They do it obviously they will know Christ and they'll begin to see what all this meant. It all spoke of Christ, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah, you don't have to deny it. You simply said, now we know what this represents. So apparently it's all restored. You can say it's figurative, but it sure looks literal to me. Then it says there will be a freshwater river that comes out from the temple and it will go out to the Arabah. The Arabah is that dry desert land south of the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is just a a salty brine. It's not even water. You, you, when you get in it, you couldn't drown in it if you wanted to. You float on it like a cork because it's so full of chemicals. It's, it's just just this brine. It says that this river is going to go into there, flood it, and it'll be filled with fish and life again and that, the, that will go all the way down and irrigate all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba, this beautiful uh, uh, freshwater river. The boundaries were, are set in chapter 47 for the new nation which I mentioned included parts of Syria, goes up around Damascus. Boundaries will be set for the tribes and that parcel of sacred land I mentioned will be laid out in chapter 48. Now, go with me to Revelation 11. This is what's transpired. This is what's gone on. This is why there's a temple. God has been doing these things. By the way, even in our generation, does it look like some of that could be taking place? yeah you see the you watch Russia right now working with with Iran and supporting I mean we 're seeing the dynamics of these things taking place on our watch i don 't know the date, but it's you can see the things lining up now look at chapter eleven and it 'll make sense to you. Then there was given to me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, "Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship it he 's not measuring for distance what he measuring means there is either destruction or protection. In this case, it's protection. Leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for how long? Forty-two months, and that's how long? Three and a half years, exactly. Remember the middle of of this, there's a seven-year tribulation period, the middle of it is the abomination of desolation. So we're seeing, I think there, we're seeing the, that the treading underfoot the second half of this seven-year period. It says they will tread underfoot the holy city. There's three courts. There's the court of the, men, uh, there's a court of the priests, the court of men, and the court of women. And then outside is this big court of Gentiles for inquirers. And he says, you'll protect the inner part, but the outer part is, is, is given over to the Gentiles. Verse 3. I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. How many days is that? Or how many? How long is that? Three and a half years. There we go. This is, I think, the first three and a half years of that seven-year period. Clothed in sackcloth. And these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord. That is a direct reference to the prophecy in Zechariah. Zechariah saw a seven-branch lampstand. Do you remember that when we went through the tabernacle with the little oil lamps on the top of each one? It represented in the tabernacle the light of God, the promise of His revelation. Remember that? Mm-hmm. You do? How many do? Oh, yeah. yeah, we went through. Okay, two years through Revol- Exodus. We could do it again. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I remember. I got it now. All right. So we so that it, it, it is this picture of that the seven-branch lampstand, the menorah. And then you had in the vision two olive trees and they had little gold tubes that went and fed into those lamps. In other words, the oil flowed right from the olive trees miraculously and filled the lamps. You say, What's that? Here's the prophecy that goes with it. You know it. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. God's saying, I am going to do something without human help. Nobody's going to help me do this. I will sovereignly and supernaturally supply the oil, supply the anointing of the Spirit that will fill up the lamps and restore the lamp of revelation in Israel again. You got it? The light of revelation will be lit in Israel again. By my Holy Spirit. I'll do it, says God, by myself. And I'm going to send two, two witnesses who will be my my vehicle for this. Now, how did, what happens? Verse 5. If anyone wants to harm them, they're supernaturally protected. Fire flows out of their mouth. I don't think literally. Uh, that's kind of like a dragon. I think they simply, and I give you a reference, like Jeremiah, they speak the word and, and the Lord does whatever. He may, he, they can just Speak a word and people drop dead, I guess. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. So they're supernaturally protected. Now let's figure out who they are. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. Who did you know in the Old Testament who spoke and the rains stopped? Elijah, how long did they stop? Three and a half years. Ooh. Nee, 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 nee. Yeah. And, and did Elijah die? Where'd he go? Up in a chariot. Uh huh. Okay. Second one. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as they desire. Who's, who, who had the power to strike the waters and they turn to blood and bring plagues? Moses exactly who was it who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration and consulted with Jesus Elijah and Moses the same two guys they are they come back whoa and they begin to bear witness they are supernaturally uh, uh, ministering and they will minister for three and a half years this whole period of time. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss, that's the Antichrist, will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Apparently, it isn't an easy job. He has to send his whole military or something to destroy Moses and Elijah. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. What city is that? Jerusalem. Is it possible to watch dead bodies rotting in a street? All over the world? It is now. Wasn't in the past. We do it all the time now. In fact, not a day goes by, but what we watch, someone's body rotting in the street, right? I mean, all of a sudden, this just becomes modern, modern... Understanding, those from the peoples and tribes and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and not permit their dead bodies to be laid in the tomb. They hate these guys. They have had the power to stop the rain on the nations that won't come and worship God. There's, they've had authority to do that, and I give you the reference for it. It comes right out of the prophecy of Zechariah. It's amazing. So they, the nations hate them, and they let their dead bodies rot. And so by this point, I suppose you've got, you got uh, you're all the, what is it called, bloating and, and all that goes on with a dead body in the street, and you're watching that. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another, because these two prophets who tormented those who dwell on the earth are dead. Happy dead prophet day. <laughs> uh, send each other dead prophet gifts. Can't you imagine dead prophet cards? (laughs) But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. And they stood on their feet, and a great fear fell on those who were watching. So they had stuff trained on them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And then they went (laughs) up into heaven... In the cloud, and their enemies watched them, and CNN is following this. They haven't come down yet, Bob. We're waiting.) And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven, thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and the rest, and, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Does it start making sense? Now let's. Let's ask this question. Let's apply it now. What we have seen is God's intense interest and commitment to turn the hearts of Israel back to him and to see his son. They will look on him who they, mourn, who they pierced and they will mourn. They'll begin to recognize their Messiah. You understand that Jesus is Jewish, don't you? You understand that he is, first of all, the Messiah of Israel. We Gentiles have been given by the mercy of God the access to this gospel to come in by the billions. We have flooded in the gates, hallelujah. And we're not done flooding. But they'll come an end to our season. They'll come an end to our season. And God is not about to, to have his, his people Israel and his promises fail and fail. In chapter 11 of the book of Romans, and I'll just tell you what it says Paul says this will happen. He says, I understand that there is a hardening in the heart of Israel for a season. He said, but God will not allow that to happen. He said, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Exactly. We quote it all the time. It applied specifically for its first application to Israel. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And then Paul tells us why. And he says, they are beloved for the sake of of the fathers isn't that interesting they are beloved for the sake of the fathers you know that God didn't just he's not a racist he didn't choose the Jews God chose Abraham and Sarah why? because they were a a husband and a wife with faith he found someone who would believe in him who would obey him who would allow him to work in them until they could be born again you say, Can he yes, they were born again. Paul says it, Romans 4. That when Abraham went out at night under the sky and he saw all the stars, the Lord spoke to him and he said, count the stars if you will. I will make your, your deceit as that. I'll, I'll multiply your generations. And it says this, Abraham believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And Paul tells us very clearly, he was born again. He was a born-again man. And he passed, he, he and Sarah passed that on to their children. Isaac was born again. It was passed on to Jacob, and Jacob was born again. These were, these were people who, who knew the Lord and loved the Lord. Now listen, and believed his promise. I want you to hear this. When you engage God with real faith, there's no time limit on it. Real faith brings something into being that never passes away. He promised Abraham his descendants. This is in Genesis 17, 7. He said, I will bless your descendants forever. Now, there's free will in it, obviously. There's many people who've rejected the Messiah. But God is a tough God. And he he's says, I'm, I will not go out forsaking Israel. I will have a final generation that believes in me, 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe. I will have every true Jew know my son, Jesus Christ. And I will pour out my spirit and I, they will know me and walk in my ways. I'll even send Moses and Elijah to seal the deal. I mean, how do you say this is not biblical? <laughs> I believe that God wants us to see the miracle of faith. Jesus says it in Mark eleven twenty four: All things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Now, when I read that years ago, I thought it must mean that I have to believe real hard that something's happened which hasn't happened. And so I would try mentally to talk myself into it's happened, it's happened, it's happened, it's happened, it's happened. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And it was very much like pumping up a. You ever pump up a raft or a something, or a, a thing, tire with a hole in it? You go, and, then you go. and so as long as I'm working on it, it's pump, 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 pump. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then and it was it's exhausting that kind of faith and I've tried to do this and it's just like after a while I like, go I don't know what to do with that it doesn't work there are a lot of people who thought they've walked the walk of faith and it didn't work and what they didn't know is they didn't know what real faith was i'm going to tell you what real faith is right now i'm going to tell you why it worked for abraham i'm going to tell you why 4000 years later at least god is still honoring the prayers of abraham and Isaac, and Jacob. Why is he still at work? Because they engaged him in real faith. Real faith doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with you picking out something you want. Real faith starts with God. It starts with God telling us what he wants. Now, see, we've talked about repentance, haven't we, and putting our hand in his and saying, I'll follow. So we're not afraid of the will of God. We want the will of God. Real faith begins by hearing from the Lord. When the Lord speaks to you, you know it. it, Faith is alive because I know what God's told me. How many of you have had God speak to you at some point point? you know you've heard his voice? Hold your hand high. Look around. Almost everybody. How did you know? Are you just a bunch of weirdos? I mean, how did you know that God spoke to you? Did you hear a voice or what? Some people went, yes. Well, people have heard different ways, haven't you? But something happened that was was different. It wasn't just you talking yourself into something, it wasn't some 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 wish that you had. You know he spoke to you, right? That's the key. And when you know that you've heard, faith is automatic. It's almost annoying. I had a man this Thursday night after a prayer meeting Stay and talk to me, and he came up and he said, "Tonight I felt like I was I was supposed to confess my that my God's going to heal my marriage." And and he was he was real kind of a- apologetic. He said, "We've been apart a long time," and he said, "There's he says I don't know why I feel this, but he said I just know God wants to heal my marriage." But I mean, there's a it's, there's a lot of pain, and we've been apart a long time. And he says, "I feel foolish for even thinking this," but. I know he wants me to, and I looked at him, and he was not drumming something up. It was not him, him sort of talking himself into something. I looked at him. I said, "I said you've got faith." He says, "Yeah, I, I know." <laughs> <laughs> and I, he said, I, I I said, "All right, well," I said, "It's it's too late now because it was the end of the prayer meeting." I said, "It's too late now," but I said, "Put your hands in mine, and I want you to practice." And I said, now, you confess. I want you to declare that which is not as though it were. You confess what God has put in your heart for your family. He's got children, the whole thing. You go on. You confess it. Let her out. And so he began to confess and, and thank the Lord for healing his marriage. Come on. I said, thank him. Good, you know, Pushing him. Praise him. And he did. He confessed. I said, now, that's good rehearsal, and you can do that next week in front of everybody if that's what God's told you. He had what I'm now. I want to catch this. He had real faith. Is that something rare? No, it's something God wants to give us all the time. The problem is, we don't spend time listening. The real key to the release of the miraculous, to the release of answered prayers at the kind of dimension we've seen today, is letting God work in us till we've heard his voice. At the prayer meeting, I teach him to pray this way. I said, I want you to pray. This is in the, in the intercessory group. I want you to pray with two ears. One ear, I want you to listen to each other. And insofar as you can agree in prayer with the other people praying, I want you to be saying the amen in your heart. There's a, there's a power to agreeing prayer. But I said, the other ear, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and don't pray until he gives you something to pray. And then when he speaks to your heart and you have something to pray, you pray what he gives you. Do you hear me? See, we're not afraid of him, are we? We know his love, we know his purity, we know his holiness. It's not like, often people are going, wait a minute, you're giving the agenda over to God. What if he doesn't want to do what you want to do? Well, there we go, huh? Back to that old issue. But if I trust him, I don't have to hold on anymore, do I? I can finally say, okay, Father. When he imparts to you, Abraham went out under the night sky, And God spoke to him. And God said, I'm going to do this. And Abraham said, yes, sir, I believe. And faith happened in his heart. And that man was changed. And 4,000 years or however many more later, God is still at work honoring that prayer. Do you understand me? Now, here's what God wants. He wants you to be an Abraham. He wants you to be a Sarah. He wants you to walk in the same kind of faith. He wants you to believe for your family and your loved ones. He wants you to start believing for people that you work with. He wants, you to, he wants to start speaking to your heart and having you join it with real faith and release something powerful that really makes a difference. Amen. And many of us have grown discouraged over our family. We've grown weary because we've often begged him, bargained with him, talked at him, but we really never engaged the faith. We never waited until he spoke to us and said, I'm giving you your children. I'm giving you this situation. And it came alive because when it does, it burns. It's real inside us. I was praying the other day for my family. And I was praying for my children and I prayed for my grandchildren. And then I thought, well, I'm going to pray for my great-grandchildren who aren't even born yet, you know, wasn't this big and I, I, I started praying Lord for my great grandchildren and the Lord immediately brought to mind the, the, the example of the, of the prophet who went to the king in the Old Testament and he said I want you to take these arrows and I want you to strike them on the ground and, uh, and, and, and the, pro, the king took the, the bundle of arrows and struck them three times and the prophet was furious and he said why did you only strike them three times he said now you'll just win three battles and then the enemy will come in and defeat you. You should have struck it at least five. <laughs> so I'm going down to my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And, the, and I, that came to mind. And I thought, ooh, ooh, I want my children, my grandchildren my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren. And then I thought, oh, let's go for it. My great-great-great-grandchildren. Lord, I want all my generations. The Bible says that his, his loving kindness goes to a thousand generations. See? How big can you believe? How big will you listen for? So I said, Lord, I don't just want my children. I don't just want my grandchildren. I want my Generations. I want the gospel to go through. I want the spirit of God to be on my generations, Lord, for as far as, until you come again. I started believing God for something like that. How many of you have had parents or grandparents or who knows pray for you before you became a Christian? How many? Come on, raise your hand. They interceded for you, didn't they? Somebody had faith in most, and you had a hard time getting away from God, didn't he? He came after you like a, like a, like a bloodhound. And he wouldn't let you go. You didn't stand a chance. Sure, you could be an absolute knothead, I know, and, and reject it. But the Holy Spirit goes, he honored the prayers of your ancestors. He honored the prayers of your parents and grandparents and the, and the love that was given. He heard their prayers. And I'll tell you something. Not that, there's no time limit. It never dies. It never weakens. It never changes. God never forgets when it's engaged in real faith. That's what you're observing in the book of Revelation. It's not some weird thing. It is simply a couple who heard the voice of God and believed him. And thousands of years later, that is still at work. Would you stand with me? Who today needs, needs God to break into an area of your life? Who today is willing? Uh, you put your hands down because this won't be the same question. <laughs> I, need, I have a problem. That's easy. But you would actually give time. You would get before the Lord until he speaks to your heart. See, we don't do that, do we? The idea of fasting and praying, the idea of taking the word and going sitting somewhere, the act of seeking the heart of God until a, a word's been spoken to me, a promise has been made to me, till there's been that divine part of it, not just me whining and begging and repeating. I'll tell you, as I preached this last night, the Lord was convicting me. I've prayed for my family. I've got a, I can recite my family members like a, like the encyclopedia. I just zoom through them. And I've done it for, I, I thought by sheer volume if I just kept at it for many years, God would have to answer me. And the Lord said last night, I I don't know that you really sought me for your family, have you? You've just dutifully prayed for them. I mean I, what a correction. I've got business to do with my own household. I've been praying by recitation. I never really sought him and let him until he said, I'm giving you your children, your 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 brother in law and sisters in law. I'm giving you your uncle's family. It's a different process. But when that engages, there's a miracle release, people. There's a timeless work of God that's released. He wants to do miracles. And he wants us to partner with him. So now the question comes, who's willing to seek the Lord until he speaks to your heart on that matter? And then you're going to believe him and stand with him and let a real miracle take place. Now raise your hand. Hold him up and keep him up. Father God, here we are, Abrahams and Sarahs. We would hear your voice. We would stand with you and believe. And we would see your mighty power released into our generations, into our family into our workplace, wherever it is, Lord. We would see your miracle power released. And what a power it is. It's breathtaking. It's literally beyond our comprehension that you would work thousands of years later because a couple believed you. But today we know who you are. You're that God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you're our God. And we would not be any less with you We would not walk in any smaller miracle. We would believe, Lord, for miracles. Make us men and women of real faith. In Jesus' name, we believe it. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.